I had to open my eyes and listen. And we do go through those bouts of depression. Even though you are a Christian, those things do happen. There's those moments in life that you're just ready to walk away from it all because you just want peace. But God keeps us. God keeps us. And he keeps us in a soundness of mind. His peace really is. It surpasses all the understanding of man. It's his peace he's given me. His joy that he's given. Because without him, we would all what? Just give up and run away. Just give up and run away. Father, we thank you, O God, for that redemptive story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, though it has been bruised, scarred, and have been run through the mill, disregarded by men, but that redemptive story still has its power that it had from its very beginning. That redemptive story is still able to save. That redemptive story is still able to transform men. That redemptive story is still able to give power to those who call upon the name of Jesus. And Lord, there have been many days that as a Christian that we've been ready to give up. But that old song is correct. Just have a little talk with Jesus. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that at times we can just sit in the quietness of our own room or our car or our bathroom, wherever we're at, and just talk to you. And somehow, Lord, you step in and put your arms around us. Though the world may not love us, we know we are loved by thee. We know, O oh God, that we've been called with a purpose to serve you. And Lord, that's difficult to do. That's hard to do. Because Lord, it's a break from everything of this world to really serve you and to honor you. And it means that people will talk about you and people will laugh at you for the things that you do. But Lord, your word is so clear. If we honor you, you will honor us. If we, oh God, walk worthy of your calling, you will reward us. You will bless us. And Lord, it is not the praises of men that we look to, but we look to hear from you, well done, my good and faithful servant. So Lord, as we embark upon a new year, would you encourage our hearts that we be steadfast 
in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That we will continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, we will understand that we have an adversary who wants to cause us to stumble and to fall. But, Lord, the righteous man shall fall seven times, but seven times he shall arise. And that, Lord, the victory is in Jesus. The victory is in Jesus. And we truly are overcomers. Let us overcome all the things of this world that will come against us in this coming year. May we be overcomers of every deceptive scheme that the enemy will plot against us. Lord, may we be overcomers that Jesus Christ might be glorified. And let us understand this truth that our labor is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. Encourage us to run on and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes as a pastor, I think about this church and many other churches and the church in general. Are we doing what God has really called us to do? Are we teaching? Are we teaching? A young man gets life term. You may have seen this in the paper. 24 years old. He gets a life term because he was part of somebody else's death. He didn't pull the trigger. He didn't do it, but he's in jail. 24 years old. And I said, and I read this, and boy, he can't even go for probation until after he's 15 years old, until he's after 15 years in prison. So he'll, he'll come out of prison maybe 45 to 48 years old. But he's only 24 right now. And my question is, could the church have done anything to rescue him? Could the church have done anything to come alongside of him? Our past president, Obama, makes this statement, and I'm a fan of just cutting things out. I think I learned it from my dad. He used to prove a lot of his stuff because he used to tell people, wait a minute, he'd go get an article from Look Magazine, from Life Magazine, from Jet, from the newspaper. Just give it to him. You read it. But Obama makes this statement, and, and I think it applies very much to the church. If you think education is expensive, wait until you see how much ignorance costs. Ignorance is costing us today. Very much so. The church is ignorant. And the church has its eyes closed to a lot of things that is taking place.
And that caused me to wonder, are we really teaching? Not just saying things that will please the people, but are we hitting home that challenges your heart to change? That challenges your mind to change? To cause you to rethink something and relook at something and even ask the question, I'm doing it right, but can I do it better? Catch the difference? I'm doing it right, but can I do it better? I don't know how many of you read the article on Christmas and the passion of justice for justice. Listen just a little bit. I said I'm a fan. I'll read papers and I'll read this and I'll read that. But I'm looking on what the church and how it should affect me as a Christian. I'm not going to read the whole article. I'm just going to read a couple parts out of it. But in the United States, we live in a moment when Christianity is losing. Now, now each one of us have to deal with, is Christianity losing? We know we're closing churches. We know that many people are not coming to the Lord and the records that they used to. Every church is way down baptisms and so forth. Income for many churches are going down. And Christianity is not very well accepted anymore in the United States. But in the United States, we live in a moment when Christianity is losing ground, especially among the young. I speak not of demographic change. Our country is more religiously diverse than ever, and honorably so. I don't know if I totally agree with that, honorably so. I believe yes, because we live in America. We have a freedom of religion. But every religion is not given the same right to speak out today as some of the others. And he goes on and he says, Americans under 40 are the least religious engaged generation since we have been measuring such things. They are skeptical of organized religion and many in their ranks see Christianity as hopelessly and with political figures they perceive as reactionaries, authoritarians, and intolerants. But this speaks of the challenge Christianity faces. It stands before the world deeply divided it stands before the world deeply divided. How are you going to ask people to become a part of something that you are that is so deeply divided? His trumpet is St. Paul's metaphor. is given an uncertain sound. In one sense, there is nothing new here. Christian, like members of other faith traditions, have disagreed about worldly matters for centuries. But if you check history, we disagreed 
but we hung in there with each other, looking for an answer from God, looking for an answer with God. You see, this divide when progressive Christians who cite the liberating Exodus story and the Sermons on the Mount, personal and social demands face off against conservative Christians who point to what Leviticus said about homosexuality and stresses the narratives of personal salvation. See those John 3.16 signs at football games? It's no accident that the Gospels' affirmations about the poor and marginalized, along with Exodus and the prophets, Micah, Amos, and Isaiah, tend to be heard more often in African-American churches than in conservative white congregations. The skeptics would take all this as proof that religious faith, including Christianity, is a human invention. Is a what? Human invention that individuals and groups turn to their own worldly purpose. And Christians of all stripes often makes the skeptics point, listen to it, by behaving in thoroughly unchristian ways. Perhaps especially in their arguments with each other. Matthew's gospel reminds us of these words. Jesus, you have heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. There isn't a lot of that love your enemy thing going around. And I confess to finding it difficult myself these days. But in the spirit of fellowship, I suggest that anyone who thinks of themselves as a Christian must see this faith something more than a vulnerable, venerable, comforting tradition or as a ticket to heaven. We are reminded, Wright wrote, that the Christian faith still makes waves in the world. And the people are prepared to risk their lives out of the passion for justice which is sustained. Metz insisted that the salvation, he's a theologian, that the salvation to which Christians hope is related is not simply or primarily the salvation of individuals. I want you to catch this because this is so important here. Because we put so much on the personal salvation issue. And he says that's not the primary. simply or primarily the salvation of the individual, but as salvation of the covenant. 
if the covenant of God in Jesus Christ is not kept and we lose the covenant, we have nothing to offer of personal salvation. If we lose this covenant of the gospel, a redemptive life in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to offer the world. And he says what's important is this covenant, is this gospel that we really have to look to. But as salvation of the covenant of the people of the many. If this were not true, I am not sure Christianity would have flourished and survived until our time. But because people kept the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ, they still have the ability to offer this personal salvation. Now remember I was talking about how he says, the church is divided. How many of you follow yesterday's paper? Methodist church splits. I disagree with some of his statements. The writer of the plan called the division the best means to resolve our differences. Allowing each part of the church to remain true to its theological understanding. What did they just say there? There's two different understandings of what the gospel is teaching. There's two different understandings. And there's only one understanding of the gospel. Allowing each part of the church to remain true to its theological understanding while recognizing the dignity, equality, integrity, and respect of every person. And my question was, where is the dignity, the respect, and the honor of what God has already stated? Not each individual, but what God has already stated. I don't want to bore you with too much of this, but it is something for us to understand. We believe that separation was the only feasible way of resolving our conflict. Where is the coming together, seeking God's face, and praying? Where is the real love for each other that overcomes whatever our problems might be? For love conquers all things. My prayer in this, for they meet in May to vote. The same thing earlier part of last year 
if you will remember, the Church of England or the Episcopal Church was going through. And who, who was the only group that kept them from splitting? That group of churches, which is part of the largest body of the Episcopal Church over in Africa. And the bishops over there said to the bishops over here in America, read the scriptures and follow the scriptures or we will not follow you. And they took them back to the word of God and they held. We always have to go back to that word of God. And the church has to be a teacher of the word of God. Not the teacher of men's doctrines. For teaching, doctrine simply means teaching. But we are teachers of the word of God. And when the people of God understand the word of God, that word becomes a light for them in every path that they take in life. And the church once again has to recapture its great responsibility of teaching. I praise God for the praise team. It adds to the service, but it is not the service. I praise God for all the other trimmings around the service, but the real point of the service is the Word of God and the teaching of that Word. And we have to remember that that the basic duty of the church is to teach and educate God's people for living in this world and living a life that is pleasing to God. Charles Stanley said something, and boy, I was amen and amen and amen. I praise God for him. He's one of those older pastors that I listen to my other one was Roger Anderson down from Tennessee, listening to him. He has passed on. But Charles Stanley said this, Me and Jesus prepares me for heaven. Me and Jesus prepares me for heaven. But Jesus in me prepares me to live on earth. Me and Jesus prepared for heaven. He's prepared me for a heavenly life. I'm in him. He's preparing me to live somewhere else. But me, but him in me prepares me to live right here. 
boy, I thought about that, thought about and how true it is. How true it is. And there are many learning centers in your life. And the question you have to ask yourself is this. Where are you learning from? Are you learning on the job? Where you work at? The people around you? Where are you learning from? Are you learning from the Father, from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit? Or are you learning from Satan, from demons, and the world? Where are you taking your learning from? Because what you learn will be how you will think. And how you think will be how you perform or act or live it out. You're the one that have to really examine what institution you're going to to learn. And what are you learning? And you have to ask yourself this question. Is learning important to you? Is learning important to you? Those who don't come into the sanctuary, learning is not really important. Church is important, but learning is not important. Those who stay outside of a classroom and think they're going to get their lessons for that day, they don't really want to learn. They just want to pass a test. They just want to get a grade. But when you get in there with that professor and you begin to ask questions and you really begin to wrestle with what you're hearing, now you're learning. But when you stay outside the classroom, you're not really learning. See, this is the real classroom right in this setting. Outside of this is not the classroom. But you can never make a person want to learn. I had a very important question put to me during the Christmas holidays. And it made me think. Because the question was this. They said, what if Christianity is not true? What if Christianity is not true? Now you have to pause and think on that. Is there a possibility that Christianity may not be true? Many people would say yes. I was sharing with our kids this morning as I was teaching them. The only way you will know Christianity is true is that you put it to the test and you live it. If you don't live it, then you're not putting it to the test. But if you walk by faith, and not by sight, and you lean not on your own understanding, but you are following the word of God, and you live that out, you begin to see God work things out in your life. You begin to see God opening up doors. You begin to see God giving you favor. You begin to see God bringing people into your life that you never thought would be part of your life. And what you begin to do is experience God. Because he's real. And he wants to be part of your life. He does not want to be an absentee landlord and just allow weeds to grow up around your 
house. He just don't want to see you broken into. He just don't want to see you misled down the wrong path. God wants to come in and be part of your life. He wants to interact with you. It says of the scriptures to the Pharisees. Jesus says, yes, you study the word, you study the scriptures. But the scriptures testify of who? Me. People can study the word and not live it. People can study it and not apply it. When you go to school and you learn boy, two and three equals what? Five. And you go to a grocery store and you buy something for $2, how much are you looking to get back? You experience it then. You're experiencing that which you have learned. And you see that it actually does work. When you are told on a package, this is one gallon of milk, you expect to get what? One gallon of milk. And you experience that. But you also learn what a gallon is equal to. Four quarts. And you put four quarts out, you should have what? Four quarts of milk. Or if you take two half-gallon bottles and take that gallon jug and pour into it, you should have two half-gallons. But you're experiencing that. You're learning that. When you take God's Word and apply it to your life, you should be able to experience living out God's Word. Not just having it memorized, but living life with it. Why? It's true. It's true. It's true. The Lord in his Bible never talks about gravity. But is it true? Yes. It's true. He never talks about aerodynamics. Have you ever tried to figure out somebody's telling me, Boy, I don't know how them big old planes stay up in the air. But whatever those men had to discover, God had already put it there. Why? The birds stay where at? Up in the air. But they had to learn the laws or the rules of aerodynamics in order to keep that plane up there. God's word teaches us how to stay up in the world, in a sense, upright in the world. If not, we're walking in the world in a bunch of crookedness and brokenness rather than upright and proud of who we are. Now, back to the learning. You may learn in a godly home. Now, all godly homes, godly children don't come out of because it really is a personal relationship. Wouldn't it be great if, boy, the moment you was born, if mom and dad were a Christian, on your rear end, they just stamped it Christian. 
It just doesn't work that way. It's through education and much learning that you come to a place to say, this is true. It's not because mom said it, dad said it, this person said it, that person said it. It's something that now you yourself have been gathering information on and you realize it's true. An ungodly home, you won't hear anything about Jesus Christ except in the negative form. So, but yet you're learning. Learning can be positive or learning can be negative. But we are a people, in a sense, because of the mind or the brain that God gave us, we're always learning. Either through observation or either by hearing or either by doing, we're always learning. Jonathan, in class today, we brought up something that may only happen one time, but it was by accident. And most of the time, scientists learn through accidents. Then they have to go back and figure out, what did I do? That's why every step is written down. And the, the question was, can it happen again? And somebody said, no, it may not never happen again. Science says if it happens once, it can happen again. It can happen again. If it only happens one time. But you've got to keep searching. Have you ever been on that computer and you hit something and you don't know what you hit, but that screen says you hit something. And you don't know what you did. I've done that. Oh, sometimes, boy, I lose a page or where. Oh. And sometimes that thing takes off like a mind of its own. And it's just, Whoa. And I wonder, what did I do? And try to make that thing happen again. Boy. You can learn godly behavior in a godly home, but it's your choice to learn it. In an ungodly home, you can learn the wrong behavior and recognize it's wrong, but you want to do what is right. And you may learn something outside the home. You may learn in the church by the teaching of the church if your ears are open. But oftentimes today in many churches, people come into church for all the wrong reasons. They did not come to learn. They did not come to taste and see how good God is. They did not come. They came as a convenient thing and they call their own shots. They take in what they want to take in and they let go of what they want to take, uh, let go of. And the sad part about it, oftentimes we can go out singing a song but not quoting a verse. We can go out quoting what the illustration was, but not the context of the verse. And we miss understanding of the wrong thing. You have to have an attentive ear, a desiring heart to know truth. And if your heart desires to know truth, the revealer, the Holy Spirit, will reveal it and confirm it. But if you don't want to know it, he won't force it on you. 
you have the teaching of the church, but then you also have the teaching of the world. And you have to ask yourself, whose teaching are you following? The teaching of the world? And if you're following the teaching of the world, you're following the teaching of the God of this world. Scripture says the God of this world is the devil, is Satan. He is the prince of the air. You're following his teaching. And then when you look at uh, 1 Timothy 4, it says the teaching of demons. You're following somebody's teaching. Now, this is what you'll usually hear from people. I'm doing my thing. You ain't doing your thing. You're doing something you've been taught by somebody else. You're doing what you have figured up from somebody else the way to do something. Now understand this. And understand this clearly. There's only two teachings. The teaching of God and the teaching of Satan. And you have to discern which teaching you're following. You have to discern that. Whose teachings are you following? Are you following the teachings of Jesus? And you may say, uh-uh, can't follow that. That don't make no sense. Well, understand what Scripture already told you. Lean not on your what? Own understanding. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to lean on your own understanding. And you're trying to outsmart God at this moment. And God says, do it this way. Oh, I can't do it that way. God don't, God, God don't deal with these folks. I got to deal with these folks. And you want to come up with your own way of dealing with something. Either you'll do it God's way. Or you'll do it the way in which the world has taught you to do it. Now, the teaching of, of godly friends. The scripture speaks much about that. Godly friends, we sharpen each other. We challenge each other. We're not always talking about sports, and there's nothing wrong with talking about sports. We're not always talking about the job, and there's nothing wrong with talking about what's going on on the job. And we're not always talking about who got shot or what this happened in the news or that in the news or President Trump. And there's nothing wrong about talking about those things. But godly friends will also talk about Jesus Christ. Godly friends will challenge each other in walking up right. Godly friends will put a scripture out here on the table and they'll wrestle with it and hear each other's opinion about that scripture and how they might be living it out. Godly friends bring God into a conversation and they're talking about it because we sharpen each other. We help each other. If you don't have someone who you're talking to about God and Guess what Satan says? Two things you don't talk about in this world. Religion and politics. Because the assumption is it only leads to what? Arguments. So we don't talk about them. 
Yet they are the two most important things in our life. Politics is only talking about what's going on in government that's going to affect who? Me. Religion is talking about me and where I'm going to spend eternity at. It's the two most important topics that Satan has told a big lie on that you don't talk about these two things. And yet, they're the most two important things to talk about. Because they both affect you. The teaching of ungodly friends. Man, do it this way. You need to leave that person. You need to do this. Or he had an affair. You need to go have you one. Oh boy, this and that. If you take the counsel of ungodly friends rather than the word of God, you only hurt one person, yourself. Then you got the Christian education against public education. Christian education has these certain things that, because their principles come from the Bible. In Christian education, you ain't going to be taught. There's really only one family unit. In public education, you got all kinds of families today. In public education, you're going to learn things that the Bible says you should not do. In public education, you're going to learn However you feel, you need to do it. In Christian education, you're going to learn not about your feelings, but is God directing you? Is God leading you? What does God's word say about this? That's a whole different world difference about education. Now understand something. You need them both. But you have to filter out if you're in public education What is proper and right? Now, let me say the same thing towards Christian education. Because a friend of mine went to a school. When I went to visit that school that Tip was in, you just didn't pray when you wanted to pray. You got sent to the shower room, and you were in the shower room for 12 hours praying. The women that was there, them skirts was down just above the ankle, nothing shorter. Hair messed up. And yet it prides itself on being a Christian school, but very legalistic. You got to filter those things. Is it God's word or is it somebody's doctrine? Is this God's word or is this what man wants you to do and how man wants you to live it? And you should always be able to ask a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, a Christian. You should always be able to ask them this question. Can you show me that in the word? Can you show me that in the Word? Because the Word is the final thing. Not my opinion of something. The church has been given a great responsibility, but the issue is, are we shouldering that responsibility to teach? 
Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. I want you to come on down into verse 19. Because the directive is to go do something. But the same problem we're having in public school today, we're having in Christianity. You cannot teach a class that is all rebellion and you only got 45 minutes to teach. But a half hour of that is discipline. You can't educate. I'm going to pick on this one college student right here. In, in your classroom, man. Now, I, I don't know, cause I've been out of college for a long time now. Do they still have four-hour classes? Where you take four credits? Pardon? You don't know. Who's in college right now for credit, hour credits? Do they still have them? How long is a four-hour credit in that classroom? When I was in school for a four-hour credit, you was going to be in classroom for an hour and a half. You already knew that. Three days a week. Hour and a half to earn those four-hour credits. You're going to spend an hour and a half. In church, we die if we... And yet we are supposed to educate you better than what the world. But yet we can't give church the same time or attention that we give to. Catch my point? But yet we want to be knowledgeable. And most Christians are not knowledgeable. And the whole part is the responsibility to teach. Every time the door of the church, without having to beg people, should be filled with disciples who want to what? Learn God's word. We come to church for comfort, to ease our own conscience. I've done something for God. I do go to church every now and then, even if it's just Christian, just on Christmas and Easter. I go. But do you really go to learn? Do you go to learn? And teaching is not that you take it automatically and you just accept what somebody says. Teaching should stir your mind. Teaching should cause you to think about it. Teaching should cause you to want to go and dig it out for yourself. It's only the boosters to help get you started, get you moving. And the Holy Spirit, he is the one who confirms and convicts and then takes you deeper into the teachings of that truth. Man can only take you so far. But a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit takes you much further in understanding God's word than man can ever take you. Go to Acts. 
Oh, we better get to uh, 28, haven't we? I didn't read that, but let's go to Matthew 28, and let's go to verse 19, and then we'll run over to Acts. He says, therefore, go and what? Make disciples. You can't make people learn. But the thing is, is this understanding. Every disciple wants to learn. So you don't have to make it. You just have to present the teaching. The disciple wants to learn. And because he wants to learn, you have the responsibility of giving him the right information that causes him to be like Christ. And therefore, you're doing the making because you are delivering the right information that they have need of. But the disciple has to be someone who wants to learn. You can't force it into people. They have to want to know it. And in wanting to know it then, they develop. If they desire to know the scriptures, to know the word of God, they develop themselves into exactly what God says he's going to do. That you would be in the very image of Jesus Christ. God says that he has foreordained or destined us to be in the image of Christ. But there's a process that takes place that gets us to that place where we're in the image of Christ. And that is hearing and living out in faith the word of God. For faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. Of God, And it's the word of God then that transforms us. It's the word of God that challenges our thinking. If I never get this Bible into my mind, into my heart, my thoughts and the way I think, it just goes boom. All over the place. But when I have this in my heart, I have an anchor that holds me. I have a way of seeing what a godly woman looks like. I have a way of seeing how a godly wife performs and works. I have a way of seeing how a godly man, how a godly father, how a godly husband responds. Why? It's all in here. He teaches me, yes, how to hang on to my little nickels and dimes. Now, I'm my wife get talking about me about how cheap I am. Because I don't like the water running too long at the sink. Why is that? That's costly. That's water going down. Use it, turn it off. Sometimes we argue about paper towels. She'll pull off three or four of them. One at a time. That's why they made it that way. Use just that one. If you need another one, get another one. But once you turn off three or four of them, they're gone. Turn off that light in the kitchen. It's daytime. You don't need no light in the kitchen. Just to walk through the kitchen, you need a light, you know. But that's me. And she just have to tolerate me. And I'm so glad she loves me with all my little weird ways and so forth, you know. I see everything in some ways as economics. And how do I save? 
How do I cut the cost down? When we changed all these lights over to LED lights, it was some work. Changed all the lights in the upstairs, downstairs. We were averaging an electrical bill a little over almost $700 a month. We changed all these lights. Our electrical bill dropped down between 265 to 350 Huge difference. But it saves the church money. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. There are people throughout the world that wants to learn. That want to learn. America has had so much of the gospel, it's full of it. And they don't want any more of it. They don't even want to hear it. Go to Acts 17. Acts 17, 29 and 30 first. Therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we're whose offsprings? We're God's offspring. It has become much like the family tree. How many of you know much about your family? Yeah. And anybody else? Do you know much about, do you know where your mom come from? Where she was really born? Do you know who her brothers and sisters were? Do you know their dad? At at Akron University, one of my cousins looked up my uncle. We never saw my grandmother because she died young. So we never saw my grandmother on my mom's side. But here's Akron. You got a picture of my grandfather and my grandmother because he was part of the Marcus. Oh, boy. What's the black guy up in New Jersey or uh, Marcus Garvey movement? And his picture and my grandmother. And that's the only picture I have with my grandmother's side on it. Now, my other grandfather on my dad's side, my dad only seen him maybe about five times in his lifetime. He was a gambler. And he followed the pickers from down south up to New Jersey. And he would set up his little gambling thing. And he followed the pickers as they would travel, doing their picking and so forth. We got a picture of him, and he got his two guns on. (laughs) But that was Grandpa. That was Grandpa. Then when I go back to my Grandpa on my mom's side, his dad married a white woman. And children came forth. On my father's side, I remember when my grandmother, great-grandmother died in Barberton. She was Cherokee Indian. You have to want to learn because you are an offspring of God. And you want to learn about your heavenly father. 
You want to learn about Jesus. You want to learn about the Holy Spirit. Why? You're an offspring. That's your family. And you want to know about your family. You want your family history. You want to know them. And he says, therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we should not think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone. If you think that way, you don't know him. An image made by man's design and skill. If you only know him by a picture on the wall of blonde hair and blue eyes, you don't know him. And for a lot of times, when African Americans tell me, well, you following that white Jesus? No, I'm not following the white Jesus. I'm following Jesus. But anybody with any little bit of knowledge knows where he was born at. <laughs> he wasn't that. <laughs> so the only thing you're telling me is that you don't have much knowledge about him. You have knowledge about the picture but you don't have knowledge about the one that the picture is trying to portray. And he says, boy, he goes on, an image made by man's design and skill. Look at verse 30 now. In the past, God overlooked such what? What is ignorance? A lack of knowledge. God overlooked man with their lack of knowledge about him. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent and gain the knowledge that he has given of himself. That you repent by the way you used to think about him and the way you may have thought you saw him. Repent about that and get a true picture of him through the scriptures. Go over to verses 24 and 25. Same chapter of Acts. 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He doesn't live in this building. But he lives in that which is not made by hands. What is not made by hands? Me and you. He lives in us. He lives in us. Not brick and mortar. In us. Temples built by hand. And catch 25 now. And this is so important. Because again, it gives you a picture of this living God. And he is not served by human hands. He's what? He don't need you. Because you don't believe in him does not annihilate his existence. It does not destroy his existence. He is, whether you want to believe it or not. He is. I am who I am, whether you want to accept it or not. I am. And what he says here, Boy, I don't need your service. But in your service, you're going to see me work in your life. What can I bring to God? 
what can I give to God? Heaven and earth belongs to him. Everything in it he owns. But I am the one who, who is blessed when I serve. He rewards me for my service. He rewards me. He blesses me. He is the one. Because of the service, he rewards me. And, and, and he goes on, he says, And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. What can you name that God needs? God, tell me, what do you need? That's a big difference now. What is it that you need? A young, young person this morning said, I'm scared when I take a test. And I told when I was in school, I was scared when I took tests too. Until I became a Christian and I said, Lord, would you bring back to memory all that I studied? Would you bring it back to memory that which I studied? It's something to take a test with 150 questions on it and you put Memorize all that. And then I hate it sometimes when you go into the classroom and you got them 10-point scores. You got that little essay. The professor puts it up on the board and you just got to start writing when you sit down stating what he's asked in the essay. And you got to know it point by point by point or bullet by bullet by bullet. And write it out. You weren't expecting it. But God can recall it for you. And God can make it clear for you. As if needed anything. Because he himself, now catch this, gives all men life and breath and everything else. He gives it. He gives it. Um, In Ephesians 4.11 says that God gave pastors, teachers. He gave them to the church. But go all the way back to 2 Chronicles, verse chapter 24 in 2 Chronicles. What I want you to do is look at us and ask this question. Are we here today? Are we here today? In verse 19. Although the Lord sent prophets or pastors or Sunday school teachers or a person with great knowledge of the word of God into your life. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him. And though they testified against them, they would not what? People won't listen today. He says they will not listen. In Second Chronicles 24 and 19. They're not going to listen. And that's one of our biggest problems today. We won't listen. Go to Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42. And if you're going to be a disciple, 
You've got to be willing to listen. You've got to be willing to hear and take it in and soak it up. But it says, we're not willing to hear. 4218. Let me get my fingers here. Hear you deaf. Look you blind and see. Who is blind but my servants? And deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one committed to me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. You have seen many things, but you have paid no what? No attention. We don't give much attention to the things of God, do we? But we do pay a lot of attention to ourselves. But very little attention to God. Your ears are open, but you hear nothing. You're hearing, but you're not hearing. You're just buying your time. Some of you are praying now. Shut him up, Lord. Get us out of here by 12.30. But we're not giving attention. We're not listening. But you hear nothing. We won't listen. You ever try to give advice to young people? They already know it all, don't they? So they don't hear. They go do what they want to do and they fall in a ditch. Then they blame somebody else. Matthew 13 talks about not seeing, not hearing. But in Acts 26, Paul says, I'm sent to open your eyes and your hearing. And that's what we're about. But people choose to turn away. People choose to turn away. All the way back to Isaiah, we'll go through these four real quick and we'll get out after communion. Isaiah chapter 1. And and you want to hear so much about the people not listening. Read Isaiah and Jeremiah. And you, you ask, how did they miss it? Because they wouldn't listen. So in 2 through 4 he says, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth. Hear, O heaven, is the announcement. You guys get ready to testify that I did let them know. Hear, O heaven, what I'm going to say to the earth. For nobody on earth can say, I did not say it to them. I did not tell them. And he goes on, he says, For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. They've done what? They rebelled. They turned away. They chose to do it. Isaiah 65, 2. Catch what he's going to say about them here. 65. In verse 2. He says, all day long, I have held out my hands. 
to an obstinate people who walk in ways not what? Not good. They chose to walk in a different way. And the Lord knows it's not good for them, but they won't follow him. They're not good. Look what else they're doing. Pursuing their own imagination. Not thinking the way God would have them think. But they're thinking the way they want to think. And they're going to do it their way. Not knowing. All you see is this right here. What God sees is on down the road. And you run after your own imagination. You run after your own thoughts. Rather than seeing if your thoughts lined up with scripture. Fifty-five two, just back a couple of chapters. Isaiah fifty-five two. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Now listen to what he says, and he says these two words. Listen, listen. Listen, listen. It's important to what? Listen. Listen. Listen to me. And eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. If you listen to me, your soul will delight. Your soul will rejoice. Your soul will be happy if you listen to me. Jeremiah, the last one. Because Jeremiah is going to state something that oftentimes we don't want to believe. How many of you take a knife and cut yourself? Or a piece of glass and cut yourself? What do you do to harm yourself? Do you take a nice leather strap and and beat yourself? What we don't understand is this. God is doing all he can do to keep us from harming ourselves. But we choose to harm ourselves and it's called disobedience. We hurt ourselves. We make life hard. We make life tough. We bring on all our own failures. We do it. And sometimes we want to blame other folks for it. Listen to what he says in verse 7. But you did not what? Now, I used to say that to my kids. You didn't listen. So let's do it again. Why? You didn't listen. I was down with my grandkids, and I heard my son tell his granddaughter, sweep the complete floor. Sweep it all. So after he left to go to work, she sweeped under the chairs. She got one or two tables, and she dumped it, and she went upstairs. And I asked, did, 
I thought I heard him say, sweep the whole floor. So I called her back downstairs. And I said, what did your dad instruct you to do? Well, he just said, sweep the floor. Well, I understood him to say for you to sweep the complete floor because the kitchen and the living room all runs together. Sweep the whole floor. Now, you go get the broom or that little mop and you sweep the complete floor. She did what she thought was the complete floor and I called her back again. I said, if you look in the corner, you'll see some cobwebs. You didn't sweep in that corner. If you look over here, you'll see this and that. Go get the broom and sweep the whole floor. Grandpa's kind of like that, isn't he? Listen Follow the instructions and you won't hurt yourself. And he says to them in verse 7 there, But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have provoked me with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourself. You've brought the pains of life to yourself. I want your soul to prosper. I want your life to prosper. But you hurt yourself because you will not listen. We hurt ourselves because we will not listen. And he says, do what? Listen, listen, listen. A discipler. Someone who is a disciple has to train themselves to listen because there's so many distractions. You have to be willing to listen and put yourself under someone who will teach you, who will help you understand more. The church is growing ignorant of the things of God because, I won't call out no names, people won't get the Bible study. <laughs> I'm careful. That's why I'm threading lightly. <laughs> but we won't get there. We don't see it important. What's important, I got my feet up at home watching the game. What's important is that the Lord understand I done ran all day. Retired folks that ran all day. Old folks that ran all day. <laughs> we run all day. And guess who is the easiest person to scratch out of our day? Is God. And we don't learn. We don't learn his precepts, his principles. We don't learn his word. We don't know how to apply his word or live out his word. Or as Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 says, to walk by faith 
because we have not the word of God, and without the word of God, you can't walk by faith. But when you have the word of God, then you can walk by faith. You're living by faith. And you're learning, and you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not leaning on your own understanding. You're not following your own imagination. You're not doing what your friends suggest you ought to do. You're not following the things of the world and what was on news or what was this. You know one of the biggest challenges I have right now as a pastor? This is one of my big challenges right now for me in prayer. Lord, I don't want guns in the church. I understand what happened in Texas. That the man shot the man who was hurting people and killing people. But I always had this one thought. If Arlen had a gun and somebody came through this door and he's an expert with that gun and he shot with the intention of shooting that one who is going to do harm in here. But by accident, he shot somebody else's child or somebody else. What does he have to live with? What do those individuals who lost maybe a loved one have to live with? And my solution, and this may not be the best solution, but I think it is. God is our protection. We'll put the alarms on the door. We'll station people at the door. We'll do all we can do. But if God doesn't protect us, we cannot be protected. Does that make sense? That's not to say we're not cautious, we're not alert, but I struggle with that. Because as a pastor, even the one who comes in to steal or do whatever, I really don't want to even harm him. And that's a struggle today. Because the church is becoming fearful of what can happen to it. And maybe God is bringing us back to a point that God is my refuge. God is my shield. God is my buckler. God is my protector. God will keep me. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And would you, O oh Lord, Teach us to listen. And I pray, Father, in the listening, you would stir our minds. You would cause us to think over certain things that your word has declared. Would you give us a hunger that every opportunity we have, we will be at the feet of Jesus learning? Would you give us a thirst that we want to drink of the water that gives eternal life? Would you help us, Lord, 
to be a people who desire to equip ourselves that we can talk to other people about the things of Jesus Christ. Would you help us, O oh God, 